to A Moment of Bach, where we take our favorite moments from the composer's vast musical output, just a minute's worth or even a few seconds, and show you why we think they are remarkable. We are your hosts, Christian and Alex Giebert. Today's moment is from the cantata Ich habe genug, BWV 82, from the Schlumert Ein aria, the instrumental introduction. On today's episode, we have a special guest. Like we mentioned at the end of last week's episode, our guest this week is Dr. William Heidi. Dr. Heidi is a mentor and previous boss of mine. <laughs> He's retired now. Um, I consider him a, a good friend and also a lover of Bach for sure. Um, and so Bill is here with us today to talk about this favorite aria. So welcome, Bill. Good to have you here. Thank you. Good to be here. We picked this particular cantata because, I mean, Bill has done so much in terms of conducting Bach cantata concerts and other things by Bach. But this one um, I suggested to him, and I thought this would be nice because I know, Bill, you've, you've arranged this particular aria for organ, and not just a transcription, but you've done like a mashup, basically, of this and Abide With Me. something that you've played at funerals before in church, and it's just been really, um, I think, very meaningful. It's a very nice arrangement. And, but I just wanted to get your thoughts, Bill, on wh when did you get that idea? When did you want to put this this tune with Abide With Me? How did that come about? Well, the aria text is Schlummert Ein, Go to Sleep. And uh, I love this aria, beautiful melody, and a uh, rocking repeated notes in the bass and it's in the key of E flat and so I thought go to sleep oh abide with me fast falls the even tide yeah. a favorite hymn and so I thought great let's do the opening intro from Bach and then bring in the next two phrases uh, of the hymn do the Bach interlude and then do the closing two phrases of the hymn and finish again with the Bach, making a balanced, well-rounded hymn prelude. Yeah, nice. Kind of like so many composers have done with chorale preludes in the past. What I love that Bach does when he comes into the bass solo here. He does this a lot in cantatas. He's got the bass starting that that melody, very similar to what you just heard at the very beginning. 
in the violin one part. But then of course it kind of diverges later and then the focus gets swapped off back and forth. Sometimes the bass is just singing like these static notes while the violins get the interesting thing. Then sometimes the bass gets to be the one that jumps around. And mostly what I love about this is just the pure, perfect theming of this. I just think Schlumert Ein, right? It's the, the whole thing, Ich habe genug, is I've had enough. To, to our ears, that kind of sounds a little depressing, right? We're talking about death here. The singer is saying like, all right, I've had enough of this world, ready to die, right? And that sounds like it would be depressing. But as we've talked about on this show before, people had a different relationship with death back then. Death was, this is not something to avoid in conversation. Like now we would be squeamish of the idea. And way back in episode eight, Christian, you talked about Gottes Zeit that wonderful cantata and how that's all about preparing your house and getting ready getting ready for death and it's also hopeful because it's about eternal life but ultimately it's like in this one it's like i've had enough of you world right it's part of the text of this i've had enough of you world and the sin and everything that and the pain that goes along with that and i mean it kind of speaks to how much worse probably like living conditions were back then that's probably part of it right we have better medicine now, that's part of it. We live longer. Our lives are maybe a little happier. And sometimes, and this is a sermon that gets preached a lot, sometimes that kind of takes our eye off of God, right? Or that we need Him, right? Yeah, I think we, our perspective is so different now because our modern world, we don't have that intimate relationship with death that they did, at least not in our daily lives. We hide it, right? Some of us even live in places where like more modern developments uh, around here in Orange County, there's a few where it's like you can't even find a cemetery anywhere. Yeah, and we don't want to think about it. Yeah, we're just gonna not think about that. It's not part of of the vibe that we're going for in our society right now. So it's it's really, I think, difficult to think about how uh, how it would have been back then. But if you read accounts of things, I'm sure it's it's clear then that like their relationship with death was so different and that's why when Bach writes something like this it makes it makes a whole lot of sense in in contexts in 18th century context we still have all kinds of pestilence now but we definitely treat uh, we definitely handle those things differently now yeah middle movement is what we're talking about right now and if you go check this out on the link that we'll provide you'll see that the middle movement is like mostly the whole thing right i mean it's the, it's the centerpiece it's long it's around 10 minutes in the recording that we have from netherlands box society but it could be longer depending on the tempo and it's just you really sit with it bach really wants you to sit with this you know 
Bach wrote hundreds of cantatas, probably a lot that we've lost. And he obviously loved this one because he, he made some different versions of it. But so many cantatas. And Bill, I would love to hear about your, your like background with cantatas and stuff. You've done so many. What were some of the first, the first time you had the idea, let's, let's have the Bach Cantata Vesper service be a thing here at St. John's in Orange, California? Way, way back when I was a student at Concordia University in Chicago, Paul Bowman started the Grace Church Bach Cantata series okay. on the corner of the Concordia campus. I was a freshman and I got to hear the first few cantatas uh, for four years there. And I love Bach and I love the cantatas and even then I thought, oh, someday I'm going to want to do a series of cantatas like this. And so when I wanted to do that here at St. John's, I contacted Paul Bowman and he was so helpful and he gave me lots of ideas and he gave me a few cantatas that were a little easier to do and that were maybe a little more accessible and that might touch the audience a little more. And so I used a lot of his ideas and basically with the Vesper service, uh, evening prayer, putting the cantata in with the readings for the day that they were written for yeah. and putting in the context of a worship service, that all comes from Grace Lutheran Church in River Forest, right. Illinois. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, that's great. And that's one thing I've, I've loved about the way that you've run that is for, for years now we've had these concerts, but they're not really concerts, they're church services, but that's the most appropriate thing they could be, right? Because that's what they were written for. How long would these church services usually be, though, in Box Day? Probably a lot longer than ours, right? Yes, the services were th three hours long, we know from uh, contemporary accounts. And uh, a normal Bach cantata is about 20 minutes. Well, the sermon was about one whole hour. The wow. pastor actually had an hour glass that he put in the pulpit, mm -hmm. wow. and accounts also say that lots of times he ignored <laughs> <laughs> the hourglass. But in the context of a three-hour church service, a 20-minute cantata is about the same ratio as a three-minute anthem sure. in our one-hour service. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So it uh, you know, fit in quite well. It was placed in those uh, Baroque days of the late 1600s and early 1700s. It was placed right after the gospel and the creed, uh, right before the sermon, and so it was the musical expression of the gospel. Yeah, I love that. I, I think when we've done those here at St. John's, you've usually swapped that, right? You have the sermon and then the cantata right there, and I think that's a nice way to go about it. But it's interesting that I didn't know that, Bill, that they did it the opposite way. Because I like the way we have done that where you get, you've got the sermon, so you've got the preacher speaking on this text. Then you get to ruminate on it in a musical way. And it's, and what we, what we haven't mentioned yet is that these texts for these cantatas, sometimes they'll be, they'll be scripture, but a lot of times it's like a libretto written by somebody, written by a poet, basically, that, that Bach sets to music, but it's definitely on the theme, right? But this is an example of like, the bass singer represents like the person who has these, who, who is saying these things. Like I have had an, right. It's not, the bass singer is not God or Jesus or something or, or like 
representing a group of people. It's always very personal with these things. Well, this text was written uh, to be sung uh, on the presentation of our Lord, February 2nd, and uh, there would have been a special church service at St. Thomas Church, and there would have been uh, a cantata in the service. Hmm. And the text is looking from the standpoint of Simeon, how Simeon saw Jesus and realized that he was the coming Messiah mm. and that now Simeon could die. He could rest. And that's when he sang the Nunc Dimittis, Lord, now let thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. So uh, that's why we have the death motives and, and texts uh, in this cantata. It's looking at Simeon and taking him as our example. Yeah, that's great. That's really powerful stuff. I, I love that in the church service, we sing like a song of Simeon type thing. If, if we're singing that, it's probably like after communion or like right near, so we're right near the end of the service, right? It's like, okay, well, I've seen, instead of what Simeon said, I've seen Jesus, I've seen the Messiah, and now I can rest in peace, right? What we're saying is like, well, I've received Jesus, right? The means of grace, right? That's what Lutherans would say, would be that we've received the Lord's Supper. That's a mean, a mean of grace, right? One of the means of grace. So we can go now, you know? <laughs> it's kind of nice how we how the structure of that has been put in place for so many centuries. It's very meaningful. Yeah, it's not it's not the same, like, I've had enough as the Elijah one, where or it's, not the, it's not like the life is torture and I've had enough. It's not that. It's, yeah. good, to, it's good to know the difference. And it's, this is something else. It's fulfilled. Yeah. Mm, yeah, I've had enough in, in the terms of, for the church service, in terms of like, I've been fed, right, by this uh, meal, the holy meal of communion, right? Mm. That could be another way, of, that's not the only way, but I think that's one way that's intended. Yeah, or as a funeral, and funereal music, right, like uh, this person's life was full, and that's why this would be appropriate for their funeral, let's say. That's, that's a way I've never looked at it, but that's, yeah, that's cool. I'm sure it's been done like that before, don't you think? Yeah. It's been used that way. Yeah, that's true. And and I love that, so in this area, the structure, in the middle section is the part that starts with Welt, ich bleibe nicht, right? It's like, world, I'm not going to stay here any longer. The middle part is like a little bit more, it's not as passive. The middle part's like talking to the world as if the world is bad, right? And that, that's another thing that's pretty particular, that's, that's a Christian theology, it's particularly Lutheran theology thing, I guess, that the world is full of sinful desires, the world is full of problems that are caused by sin, right? And original sin means that we cannot ever like really get away from that in the world, even though it's good to try to make the world a better place and to do the right thing and whatever, you don't just give up on the world. But the point is, we know it's never going to be perfect. And sometimes it's going to be really bad. And we know that we're promised eternal life in which life will be finally free of pain, right? So that's what we mean when we have this section here. And this reminds me of the um, of the Mahadish uh, aria, which we obviously love because we use it as our intro and outro music all the time from the St. Matthew Passion. It has the same thing where it has a middle section that says like, world, get out. World, get out, let Jesus in. Let Jesus in. 
Yeah. And it even addresses the world, like talking to the yep. like, world. Right? Yeah, it's cool. I like those kind of connections. And just speaking of connections, like similarities in melodic themes in Bach are really cool to me, and they're usually I think they're they're intended in some way. He's not just repeating and being like, I'm reusing this little idea because I couldn't think of anything, you know? It's more it's a thematic reason. So in the first movement, we jump to the first movement here, the the oboe melody that starts this movement. It sounds very similar to the Erbarmadich uh, that we talked about in the St. Matthew Passion. And it also sounds like one of the, one of the uh, duet movements of the, the Vakitauf cantata. These things are always some kind of pleading sort of dun, 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 thing. It's just it's always this like cry, crying out kind of motive there. Yeah, he almost likes to use that pain, crying. Yeah, with yeah. that bass line stepping down in that lamenting fashion. Yeah, and there's just so much good stuff in this first movement that it kind of reminds me a little bit of the opening um, chorus of the Saint John Passion too. In that there's these like things that happen on the downbeat that are like super dissonances, right? Then they resolve. But when they happen, they just really tear at you, you know? And then it's, then it resolves. But it's, it's always got that um, really stretchy character to it. It does not feel, you know, it does not all feel at peace yet. And that's kind of the point of this, right? Things are not at peace yet. Which is why I think that third movement, by contrast, is so powerful you've come from the first two. Yeah. Come from the Ich habe genug aria, which is more outwardly passionate, and then the, the recitative, which is similar in text and character. And then you have this beautiful lullaby now. Yeah. And, and um, Bill, you picked that moment at the beginning that, which I love that. I, I'm humming it all the time. You know that first that first melody. <laughs> There's so many other great little moments too. It's, that's why this podcast is always hard for us to pick because it's the moments of Bach, but it's like there's too many good moments. Yeah. And one that I love in here, it actually happens a couple times, is when there's these fermatas, which, so for the listener who doesn't know what that means, it just means that you're holding out a note or holding out a pause or something. There's like a break and then, and then the music resumes, right? And that happens a couple times in this aria and it's so great. It's so great. What do you think that, what do you think that, oh, and I was looking at Bach's um, manuscript, by the way, because I just wondered, I was like, is this an editorial choice? But no, it's in there. He's got fermatas in there. He intended those. So we've got this moment that says, like, falling asleep, falling asleep. Well, we're talking about falling asleep this whole time, right? Weary eyes, closing softly, closing pleasantly. And then there will be these breaks.
will suddenly just start right back up again. And it's, to me, this is like, I'm wondering if this is like falling asleep or something and then waking back up, falling asleep and then waking back up kind of thing, you know? That's not quite over yet. The little kick feeling when you're trying to sleep and your muscles twitching, you know? <laughs> yeah. Or you start dreaming and then, then you wake up and you're like, oh, I was like, I was half asleep. But, you know, just like so many of these musical metaphors, it's very subjective. That could mean that to me, but that could mean something totally, totally different to a different listener. I think that happens three or four times. Yeah. Where we kind of nod off in the <laughs> middle of the aria. Yeah. And uh, there's a little retard, and then the fermata, and then they, Bach writes a rest in there. Yeah. Ah, and then the, then the music continues again. Yeah, and, and this first fermata is is harmonically very unsettled. It's just, it seems like it's coming down to a, to an end point on an E-flat bass note, but, and then it's almost resolving, but then like as it resolves, the bass singer goes down to a, a strange note that suggests that we must keep going on to, like going on to another chord. And then we have, like you said, build this rest that, that chops it up, which is a very interesting pause. I, think there, I don't think, I can think of very many other arias that have something like that. Yeah. Are you looking at uh, 19 right here? Is it that first one? Or are you looking later? He was looking at 25. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, the second one is the second one. Yeah. There's so many. Yeah, in this first one, I'm looking at the manuscript. It's so great that we have these. A lot of this stuff we have, like, you can find scans of Bach's real writing of this. And on his, it, the fermata is on the rest, which is different than what we have here huh. in this version. Hmm. It's that fermata on the rest. So, so what that means is a little bit different than what we have. But in the Netherlands Bach Society version, I think they kind of do that. They, they wait and they let the silence kind of fill the room before they move on, which is really powerful. The use of, of a simple means like silence for a second is so powerful in music, just generally speaking. And Bach truly understood that because he also has, he also has in this aria, those moments where the bass singer just gets to sit on a note for a while. And that's another form of, of musical simplicity that's so powerful. And it works it works so well with that lullaby thing that you would just like just what you would do if you're trying to get a child to go to sleep, you might switch from, from a melody to a humming or a single note or something. Yeah. And he does that in the, the last aria too, the, the fifth movement. Yeah. He's he's got those even though that one has really fast, quick feel to it, the tempos, it's kind of a dancey thing, it's, the, the text is more about like being excited for, and again, this sounds so weird in our modern, to our modern ears, but being excited for death to come because if only it would come already because my heart leaps for joy to think about the, the beauty of the eternal life that's coming, right? And that's what this one is about, and it, it jumps all over the place, but even so, like you said, Christian, there's those notes that, that the bass sings that just, they stand on one, or you see, Stand is the wrong word. He sits on uh, on the note for a while, even while all this other stuff's going on. 
So I got the chance to conduct this piece, which was kind of formative in my love for Bach. We were just chatting about this right before that we, we hit record here. And that's um, thanks to Bill, uh, again, because these cantata series that, that he's done here at St. John's for so, for so long that we are, we are continuing. <laughs> um, they've been so great. And, and as uh, Bill's assistant conductor for a while, I was able, he, he had me conduct this one. So thank you, Bill. I think I never really properly thank you for that. <laughs> but it was a great opportunity for me to dig into this. Um, you know, if you had been there and, and conducted it, which I got to sing under you uh, several times, then it would have still been nice because I would have got to sing it. But conducting it is a different story, right? So talking a little bit about the process here is like music conductors don't just stand up there and wave their hands and that's the job, right? That would be easy. I'm sure I've told this on the joke on the podcast already, but the joke is that orchestra, the orchestra only wants one thing, two things, right? The orchestra only wants two things from their conductor, a downbeat and a paycheck. <laughs> yeah. 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 But the conductor's job is also score study. Score study is a huge thing. Just like your instrumentalist or your singer would spend a lot of time practicing the music, the conductor also has to spend a lot of time practicing conducting and just in the study of the score and understanding everything. You really need to know everything about it. It's kind of like the uh, captain knowing everything about his ship kind of thing, right? Exactly like that. The thing that I think of the most is tempo. Just last week I was telling a student this, like, the musicians who have rehearsed should know the tempo by the time they, they're performing, but it's, it's your job to know intimately what's about to happen tempo-wise, and so it has to be in your head. So it's like you said, Alex, it's like the ship captain. You have, you have to know everything. It can be kind of overwhelming, with, especially with something like a Bach cantata, which is so complicated and has so many moving parts, though, which is, I think, the real challenge with what you do with it, conducting an entire cantata like this one. Even one like this, which is a solo cantata that has the single vocal soloist, uh, it's still got so much going on in all of its five parts, yeah. all of its five movements. What, Bill, what do you think is like the hardest thing about conducting these cantatas? The hardest thing for me to do is stopping one movement in my head knowing exactly what tempo we're doing mm -hmm. for the next movement yeah. and then okay here we go and that's the hardest thing for me in any and every Bach cantata yeah and it and I can't pick out one certain cantata that's been harder than others but it's when you have a tempo change when you have some special movement by one part or another and you have to make sure that everything lines up and that everybody's together that's the hardest if it's just go uh, it's not too hard <laughs> mm -hmm. well yeah. we'll make it look hard <laughs> <laughs> well yeah it kind of goes back to the, the joke i said before which is true because orchestra in a way because orchestra members do so well as a unit you know playing off of each other feeling the rhythm together they feel they feel that they, they once they get started they can do that and then it's the job of the conductor then to, if you want the tempo to stay the same, to then shape things and, and show other things and just keep that beat going as they need it so they don't uh, lose it. And then if you need to be making tempo changes, then really showing that clearly, which for orchestra, the technique of conducting is even a little different than for other things. There's all kinds of little tricks to it and um, techniques that you need to be aware of. And it's no wonder that like the 
the job of an orchestra conductor seems like such a esteemed thing. And I mean, it's it's a lot of work, <laughs> and it's very technical, and it's also very it's also very emotional in terms of like you're wanting to make this music have an impact. It can't all be only technical. It can't all only be intellectual. It would be it would not be meaningful. So you have to, to you have to understand it at a whole bunch of different scales: mm-hmm. the big scale, the whole thing, the theme, and then the tempos, the tricky thing, and then even really tiny things. It's just it's all it's all the job of the conductor. Yeah, and in our video from the Netherlands Bach Society, the conductor of this is conducting from the harpsichord. Right. Bill, do you think it's it's hardest, I'm guessing, is it hardest to conduct those cantatas that are, maybe like the early cantatas where it's just a whole bunch of small, continuous things that all have different tempos? Yes, that all change, yes. Yeah. Not complete separate movements, but they're very sectional in nature, yeah. and, and boom, you move on to something else, and then, whoops, then you go to something else. Yeah. Yeah, that's, you gotta be on top of it and be ready before it happens. Right. As much as I love the recitatives in his later stuff, I'm always telling, I'm always saying on the podcast that I have a soft spot for the for the really early the cantatas that he wrote when he was young because they just seem so holistic and the way they flow from one thing to another, which is exactly the thing we're talking about now, is hard to to conduct. Yeah. But the way it comes across, I think, is just so magical. Has more of an austere, old quality to it. But I bet you that we can easily find a conductor who disagrees with that, but that thinks that the recitative is the hardest part or whatever. But yeah, those those continuous things have got to be brutal to to conduct because it's just one thing after another. And sometimes I wonder how well did they really stay together? <laughs> yeah, the music is so hard. So I wonder that too. Like the, the music is hard now. The Bach cantatas are difficult, just musically. And they must have been, he must have had some fantastic musicians because they were, it was so hard. I mean, the, and he was dealing with older, uh, from our perspective, he was he was dealing with instruments from his time period, which were a lot of times a little technically clunkier on, on or a little te- more technically limited than our modern instruments. So, right. And performing two cantatas a Sunday times. Oh, man. 40 weeks times yeah. 25 years. So much music. And they didn't just perform cantatas, but they performed other service music and uh, motets and mm. other things in the service. It was a lot to get ready. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, meanwhile, he was getting big things ready in the background for passions and stuff like that. Right. Isn't there some, like, it's a treatise or some letter or something? I think it's Michael Pretorius that wrote, where he's talking about like rehearsal technique and trying to play things in the same tempo. And there's one part where he, and we can't tell if this is jokingly said or not, but he says like, and then at the last note of the piece, you should probably hold it like an extra four beats. So that way, if anybody else is behind by a few beats, they'll catch up. It's gotta be a joke, right? But, uh, well, as you say, it's just so that everyone can at least end together. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's good when the musicians, you know, are all on the same page. It's fantastic to work with professional musicians for this reason. They know what they're doing. Obviously, it's their job. And 
then you can get a lot out of the music here. Yeah. There's so much to get if you are willing as the conductor to uh, to dig in. You can always find more with something like Bach, because Bach is, it has such depth. All the music does. Right. Like, how are you... Like, some of the bowing, for instance, is kind of up to either the concertmaster or the conductor, maybe. And a lot of these choices are going to inform how the notes are phrased. And then also, like long, short, or like strong, weak kind of flavors to, to these notes that make sense in a Baroque context. That certainly seems appropriate in a lot of this stuff. In this in this one, you have a great example of that, where it's like the end of that phrase, where it's like, da na 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 da na this kind of like, da 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 And then also, do you want to do on the downbeat, do you want to go strong, weak, da da Or maybe like, make that second note stronger or like make it grow. So like all these little tiny choices that if you don't make as a conductor, what will either happen is your instrumentalists will make them themselves and maybe not be a cohesive group or, you know, nobody will make any of these, these choices and then it won't sound as unified. And it's just, it's, there's a lot, there's a lot to do here, but that's another reason why these Bach cantatas were such a joy to be a part of because these these players were so good, you know. They could really hang together on this stuff and feel feel all this all this stuff really well. Yeah, it's a particular joy to work with players who who love baroque music. I think you can tell. You know, sometimes you'll hire someone who does and someone who doesn't. And I love to work with the ones that love the the genre. Yeah. There was another. Conducting thing that um, my uh, professor in my doctoral program, he said, yes, you need to, as we all know, the conductor needs to mirror the feel of the piece. But when the group knows it so well as it should, you really wouldn't have to do that, but you are doing that for the audience. Mm -hmm. And that was a new revelation to me that my motions not only need to cue the musical forces, but should be uh, helping the audience to see what's happening yeah. musically. Yeah. yeah, the visual element. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're kind of guiding the audience through it visually. Yeah. So one thing that Bach does in the in many areas, but in this one, and also in the Mahedich, Mein Herzerbein, one that we, we love, is that when you get your last line from the bass soloist, it is not accompanied by any, any of the higher string parts. It's this last, um, this last, like, thing. it's just, it's right after one of those lovely fermatas, those lovely breaks, and you get this last line kind of just unadorned, really. It just, the only thing that's happening is a bass line plus whatever the organist or harpsichordist is playing above it, but that's pretty soft. And then, of course, you get the final statement of the main theme and the instruments after that. To close it off, which is the way he pretty much always does it on these, and it's very satisfying, especially such a long, um, such a long sort of drawn out piece of music. But the whole thing is, is 
this is what I love to tell people when I'm conducting. Um, I do this with bells, with handbells, but with anything really, it's like music. You want it to be engaging, right? Some pieces need to be peaceful. Some pieces need to have a lot of energy to them. But either way, it has to it has to be going somewhere. So if we just play all these notes the same volume, it'll be boring, right? I'm always telling people that. So in this, you you totally hear that rocking thing, Bill. You, you talked about the rocking motion in the bass. Bum, 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 and it, it propels the motion. And these syncopations that Bach does, these like da 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 bum. And then these these things where it jumps up like an interesting interval, like right at the beginning of measure. Da, 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 da. And all these things serve to propel it forward. So even though this thing is long, it's constantly flowing. It's just, it's got this lovely flow to it. It never feels like, like it's losing energy. In those moments where we have those silences that are wonderful, they are wonderful because they break up a beautiful flow and they give an interest anything. They kind of, they help, you know, they help the interest. Everything in here is just so lovingly crafted. It's just always what we come back to on this podcast is that all this stuff by Bach is just, is so lovingly crafted. Yeah, even though this is nice and soft, I, th I think I could never fall asleep to this because I, I'm just listening too hard. Because there's too much, yeah. there's too much to listen to, you know. Well, I have to say that this aria is one of my favorites. After conducting maybe about 50 or 60 of the Bach cantatas, yeah. uh, I always love to be able to do this one. And that's why I arranged it with the hymn Abide With Me, because the melody is so pretty and it worked as a great retronello, a great foil to the hymn tune. Yeah. about that arrangement is the registration that you chose. So at St. John's here in Orange, we have a fairly newly renovated organ, I guess you could call it. I mean, it's it's basically a new instrument now, but it's made up of a lot of, of other instruments. And then Bill, you oversaw, you know, greatly the construction of this. And I, I just wanted to get your thoughts on like the registration of this, like how, how you came up with that. Just, it's just such a nice sound. Well, I wanted a soft string sound in the accompaniment, and then the uh, instead of a, a more pungent or uh, melody in the higher register, first time I brought the uh, this this melody from Bach in, I played it an octave lower, so it's da 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 da, yeah, you know, a little more like the almost a little more like the bass singer, and. Uh, Play it on a rich sounding stop so that it uh, it's a relaxation feel. Yeah, I love that. I was I was playing through your arrangement and I found it difficult. So my brain didn't want to be in that low of notes, you know. <laughs> and then I just moved. I moved it up like I used the sixteen, but you know, swell to swell, swell sixteen or whatever it was, and and uh, and it helped me. <laughs> but yeah. but yeah, I love that it's down there. I love that it, the beginning of this. Uh, we hear it on the violin, right? In the Bach one. 
uh, but then we hear it on the in the bass singer. And so what you've done is you've kind of given us that bass flavor, right? That's, that's what you said. And then we get to go into a higher sound when we hear the Abide With Me melody, which again, it fits so perfectly thematically. I love this. I know you've played it at many funerals. It's always just so meaningful for people to hear that. And now it's kind of like one of those things where people at funerals here at St. John's, it's almost, I think it's almost expected now. You know, it's just, it's such a cultural thing now that we've got, we, we do Abide With Me frequently, I think, in, in services, it's a wonderful hymn. Um, written after the time of Bach, but this just worked so well together. You briefly brought up the last movement, which uh, really moves along. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so it's it really tears through. It does. There's this one really nice melisma, like fast line of fast notes there, like near the end on the word Freya. So oh, even the, even the beginning of the bass. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. It's there, right at the top too. Yeah. Uh, so good. Very difficult. This music is just so hard to sing. Yeah. We mentioned recently in an episode like Baroque music, singing-wise, it's like it's like they were just writing for instruments. It's it's you have to be very technically proficient to pull this stuff right. off. It's not like Renaissance style where there was a lot more uh, vocal in like quality and like this is just there's just so much going on. There's just so much fast movement. But it's always at the service of the text in Baroque music. That's yeah. what's so great about it is that, and that's the excuse why something can be hard or fast, you know, because in the Renaissance time, it was more about the com musical construction and perfection. And here it's taking a little bit from Italian opera in that each of these parts need to be, need to be a, a particular character, needs to, need to have a particular feeling. Mm. And if, it, if that feeling happens to be rejoicing in the joy of your eventual death because you've spent the last four movements explaining what that means <laughs> because it's a confusing concept to us uh, and then then yes the bass should sing this really fast thing on the word delight or joy it makes total sense in context <laughs> I love how I love how the death is the low note though. Mm -hmm. Tod low low G that tot yes that low because it's still you know, still still represents musically low lowness and the joy is is high yeah and now here is the instrumental introduction of the Schumert Ein aria from the cantata Ich habe genug.
this introduction to a musical moment has inspired you to hear the rest of the cantata, please see the link in the episode description. Do you want to hear our new episodes as we release them? Find us on your podcast app and hit subscribe. And thanks again uh, to Bill Heidi. It was great to have you on here, Bill. Yeah. How's retired life? It's great. I'm enjoying it very much. Yay. <laughs> okay. So Christian, we have one more episode before we're going to be done with this season and take a couple months off for a break. What are we doing at our final episode? We'll be wrapping up the season with our final episode. We'll do some Q&A and a little bit of review and whatever else we want to do for for the last episode. Oh, and, and um, listeners, send in some questions that we can answer on this last episode. Whatever you have about our podcast, the way we do it, uh, how we choose things, all that stuff. If you're curious about how this works, just we can answer it on the air next week. Yeah. No question is too silly either. Because next week we're going to play some bloopers from the oh, previous yeah. episodes, and those will be silly. So feel free to be silly. Yeah. Until next time, enjoy those moments. Thank you.